0: <laughs> Take your Bibles with me. Go to Luke chapter 23. Uh, Luke chapter 23. As you are turning there, um, so first I'll say this, um, as, as Pastor Jeff was just saying in the announcement, you've got to get registered for Easter. Um, you've got to register yourself, and you've got to get your children registered. If any of you have children, you have already uh, seen that our children's ministry during second hour during our 11 o'clock service is jam-packed. Uh, we keep maxing that thing out. Uh, it's growing each week, and I know some of you get a little frustrated and have experienced some of the frustrations in that because of some of the protocols, capacity limits, et cetera. Let me share just a couple quick things with you about that, okay? First, man, we need to be thankful for our volunteers. Let's, uh, if you're a volunteer right now, you're volunteering currently in our children's ministry, just, just put your hand up real quick for us. All right, these people get rewards. I meant in heaven. (laughs) We are thankful for our volunteers. If you are dropping your children off this morning or picking them up, please make sure to say thank you. Second thing I would share with you is the best way for us to be able to help you if you're experiencing some of that struggle and frustration of getting your children... Uh, plugged into classes. The best way for us to help you is to use that form there, and if you see that your child's class is full, it's not available, use that drop-down menu and click on there so that we can get you on the waiting list. We work every week to try to do whatever we can, but that also means please don't try to work the system. Please don't put your 17-year-old in the three-year-old class. We're on to you. <laughs> um, one of the reasons we want to be very uh, intentional about those classes is it's not child care. And I thank God it's not childcare. Our children's ministry is a time for our teachers to invest in these young people and to truly share the gospel on their level with them. How many of you came to know Jesus Christ at an age younger than 16? Raise your hand. You see how important our children's ministry is? So we praise God for that ministry and want to continue to do that. My last encouragement to you is this. It's a little stark as you consider what's happened over the last year. Around last February, January our children's ministry had 167 volunteers. Right now, our children's ministry has less than 40. And so we can't make any additional moves or transitions or creatively come up with ideas for 930 service if we don't have more volunteers. So if that's something that the Lord's tugging on your heart about, then I would encourage you, find Jen in between services or after service, find Pastor Mark, find myself. We will get you the information. We would love to put you To All right, so I've had three weeks off of preaching. I apologize in advance for what is about to happen. Um, Three observations I made. First week, Pastor Mark, at the end of the service, he brought his wife up here. I'm not going to do that. I I like being married, so I won't do that. Second week, second week was Andy. Andy sang during his message. I'm not going to do that because I love you too much. Last week, Pastor Jeff showed a movie from the 1920s. So... (laughs) I'm way cooler than that, so I can't do that. Now, I am so thankful for how God used those men in the last three weeks to serve us as a church, to serve myself even, and to point me to Christ. I get to jump in this morning and start an Easter series. This is like, this is it, right? This, these this are the stories that we're familiar with. This is the, the moments that we are most accustomed to. This is not about bonnets and bunnies about something far greater than that, far more important than that, and I, I'm excited, a little too excited, I think. So take your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 23, and let's walk through just a little bit uh, of some, some introductory comments as you get to Luke 23. You've got to remember the context of what is happening. We are at the tail end of the Passion Week. Jesus has already entered into Jerusalem in the back of a donkey to crowds of adoring people saying, blessed be the name of God, the Hosanna, highest heavens, this is the one. They're taking up their coats, they're throwing them before the donkey, they're doing all these things to to show adoration for who they thought was their political ruler. And then as the week progresses, the crowds dissipate and now they're chanting different things. Jesus, observing that, that beautiful supper with his disciples, sharing really important things with him, things that we get to remember as we observe Lord's Supper and we will do on Good Friday. Then he goes to the garden to pray. And you know that it says in Scripture that he was in such agony and anguish with that inner turmoil between he and his father that he sweat as if it were great drops of blood. He brought his disciples with him, you know, and said, while I go into the garden, would you pray for me? And in the middle of his anguish and agony, he went to check on the boys, and they were out cold. One of his own arrives to the garden, with a myriad of soldiers, to place him under arrest. <laughs> Peter, the rock, the outspoken one. I'll never leave your side, Jesus denies him. Not once. Three times. The other ten, they pledge their lifelong allegiance to Jesus, and yet they scatter. Jesus is led to just a farce of a trial. He is mocked. He is cursed. He is spit upon. The religious elite convict him of some made-up charges that lead to a capital offense, and then they lead Jesus to Pilate to get the approval to execute him. Now, now the Pilate, Pilate is a mid-level politician at best. He was just like the mid-level politician of Rome, and he got uh, made the governor over this area of Judea and Jerusalem, which is a tough spot, a key spot in the Roman Empire. What you need to know is that that, that mass of land, that area of Judea, is right between Syria and Egypt. It's a, it's a super important land bridge for trade during these days. And the Roman Empire understood that, and so they wanted to control it, but there was a problem. The people who, who, who lived in that landmass called Judea and Jerusalem were a bit uh, feisty. The Jews were very clear that they wanted to follow their festivals, their practices, their religious rites. And Rome had to figure out what to do about it. And so what Rome actually did was allowed some grace for those people who lived in that area and allowed them to to observe some of their religious things and religious festivals and religious traditions. But but in doing that, you had to make sure you kept close control on that or else it'll spiral out of control. Pilate had experienced some of that spiraling out of control in his 10 or 11 years as governor over Judea. There's stories of how he decided to... um, some fresh water project. He was trying to get fresh water into Jerusalem. And so he overspent his budget, so he decided he would go to the temple treasury and take the money from the temple treasury. And as you can imagine, the Jews were not very happy about that. Riots began, uprisings started. Pilate decided he would squash the uprisings by sending his troops into the crowds in plain clothes with clubs so that they could in secret, beat the loudest Jews to death. Pilate had decorated his palace with idolatry uh, and idols, and the, the, the Jews complained and said, we're going to bring our complaint to Caesar. And he didn't want him to, but he didn't stop him. So they complained all the way up the chain, right to Caesar, and Caesar was irritated with Pilate and ordered him to remove those, those idols immediately and stop creating problems. Luke chapter 13 tells us that that some of Pilate's soldiers actually massacred a number of Galileans who were worshiping in the temple. So, So Pilate is in a precarious position between his leadership for Rome and his leading of these people, and now he's faced with another potentially explosive issue named Jesus. Verse 1 of Luke 23. Then their whole assembly rose up, and they brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We we found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. And so Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Just a little side note, in the original language there, the you is emphasized at the end of the sentence, which is unique in the Greek. So, what Pilate says is, King of the Jews, is that you? Jesus answers him, You say so. Pilate then told the chief priests and the crowds, Listen, guys, I, I find no grounds for charging this man. So what you're going to see in Luke's presentation here in chapter 23 is this repeated claim by Pilate that Jesus is innocent. I find no grounds for the charging of this man, but these, these chief priests, the, the whole assembly begins to, keep, uh, begins to insist, and they keep insisting, but he stirs up the people. He teaches throughout all of Judea, from Galilee, where he started, even to here. And Pilate hears Galilee. When Pilate heard this, verse 6, he asked if the man was a Galilean. Finding that, in fact, he was, which meant he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time he had wanted to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking Jesus questions. But Jesus didn't answer him. The chief priests and the scribes. Now now think about that. Herod is asking Jesus questions. He's waiting to see miracles. He's waiting to see tricks. He's waiting to see this magic that he's heard so much about. And, and, And here you get the understanding from verse 10 that the chief priests and the scribes are standing all around them as this is happening. It says in verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. They're relentless. So Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt. They mocked him. They dressed him in bright clothing or the fanciest of clothes and sent him back to Pilate. And then there's this little side note that Luke gives us. That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Previously, they had been enemies. So now Jesus has been returned to Pilate. Pilate calls together the chief priests and the leaders and the people, and he says to them, you have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact... After examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of, and neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. So again, Pilate says, this man, Jesus, is innocent. I find nothing in him that, that proves he's guilty. There's nothing in him that would, would, would validate the death sentence that you are requesting. He is Innocent, what what I will do for you though is I will give him a warning and I I will beat him and then release him so that can serve as a warning. That should appease these people. Verse 18 says this. They all cried out together. Take this man away. Release Barabbas to us. Release Barabbas to us. Whenever the crowd shows up, Pilate's in trouble. And and, and there's this exchange that is being demanded by the people. There is a a protocol, a uh, a tradition that came about, and we're not sure exactly where it started, if it came from the Jews or if it came from Pilate, that that each Passover they would release one prisoner who was on death row. And, and, And in this moment, the crowd says, we want our one and we want it to be Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Who's Barabbas? Verse 19 tells us he'd been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. Who's Barabbas? Barabbas, in Matthew 27, <clears throat> he was a notorious prisoner. In Mark, it tells us that there was a man named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The book of John says, we want Barabbas, who was a revolutionary. Acts chapter 3 says, this is Peter's preaching, he says, you have denied the the Holy and Righteous One and you have asked to have a murderer released to you. Who, Who is Barabbas? We don't know much about him. Based on the history of the day, we believe he was of the party of the Zealots. The Zealots were a group of people who were so against the Roman occupation that they would take every opportunity to try to inflict harm on Rome, whether that meant on the Rome as a, a political entity or Rome as in the individual soldiers. It was regularly reported that the Zealots would hide the little daggers in their clothes and if they happened to pass by a Roman soldier when no one was around, they would make quick work of him. So here's Barabbas, probably one of those zealots. With certainty, we know he is a man who has been convicted of being a part, if not the leader, of a rebellion that led to murder. And in fact, the way Peter spoke of him, it sounds like he was actually the murderer himself. Please, please, please get this in your head. Barabbas is not just an offender in rehab, Barabbas is a murderer on death row. Barabbas is a terrorist. Barabbas is probably going to be executed with the two thieves who were executed with Jesus. Many believe that those two thieves were part of his rebellious cohort. The arrest of Barabbas, the the punishment of Barabbas, was justified. It was warranted. His guilt is a result of the choices he had made. And now, in this moment, Pilate holds the destiny of these two men in his hands. His plan was to enact this tradition of releasing a death row inmate each year at Passover. But when you think about the contrast of the two men standing before the crowd, it doesn't make any sense. There's no comparison between these two. You've got this man Barabbas who's on death row, he's, he is a rebel, he is a murderer, he is a bad man, he is a crook, he deserves crucifixion. And on this side, who do you have? you have? You have Jesus, who has done nothing but heal and restore and open eyes and open ears and heal the lame and heal lepers. What has he done wrong? And Pilate makes it clear over and over and over again, he's done nothing wrong. Look at verse 22. For a third time, Pilate said to them, why what has this man done wrong? I have found no grounds for the death penalty in him. Therefore, again, I will have him whipped, and then I will release him. But the crowd kept up the pressure, demanding with the loud voices that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So standing there, you have Jesus, you have Barabbas. The soldiers approach Barabbas and unlock his chains and set him free as Jesus remains. And in case we forget, verse 25, Luke reminds us of who Barabbas is. Starting 24, Pilate decided to grant their demand, verse 25, and released the one they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. Jesus, clearly innocent. Barabbas, clearly guilty. The penalty, the crucifixion, the cross that was meant for Barabbas, now Jesus is on it. Barabbas never got to see the cross that was meant for him. He, he never had to deal with the shame or the guilt He went home, and Jesus went to the cross for him. If you really spend time wrestling with that, there should be this overwhelming gut emotion, almost of of disbelief. So I have a personal confession to make. I have hated Barabbas for a long time. Um, It began, I can tell you exactly when it began, in um, northern suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. uh, I got to see a pre-screening of The Passion of the Christ back in 2003. And in that moment, there is a scene of this moment where Jesus stands Crowd calls for Barabbas. Barabbas comes out draped in all his chains, the soldiers guarding him closely. The crowd continues to cry for Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be crucified, and Pilate gives in. The chains are removed from Barabbas, and the response of Barabbas I I don't know how to explain it. It turns my stomach. Still, it did back in 2003, the first time I saw it. Every time I see it now, it turns my stomach. It's (laughs) this snotty, snide, arrogant, evil look on his face, celebrating his freedom as Christ stands humbly by. So this week, as I wrestled with the, the "For Me" series that we're walking through, Barabbas was an obvious choice. But I've had to spend a lot of time thinking about Barabbas, and it has bothered me. He's a thug. He's a rebel. He's a ter- I mean, all the bad words you're not supposed to say, kids. That's this man. But as you stare at him for a little while, you start wondering about his perspective. I mean, think about it. Just enter into it just for a minute with me how Barabbas had to be thinking. I mean, obviously, he's in the rebellion. Murder happens. He's arrested. He's thrown in his jail cell. And he knows that at any day, any day, they're going to come for him and crucify him. That's what they did. And as he sits in the cell, wakes up the next day, is today the day? When's the day? And, and just day after day after day. I can't imagine the anxiety And then this morning happens. And as he sits in his jail cell, what he hears through the walls or through the windows is a crowd that sounds like it is bloodlusting, which it was, as it cries out, Crucify him! And what do you think Barabbas is thinking? Here it goes. He hears the soldiers coming towards his cell, the, chain, the chains rattling as they open his door and they grab him and they pull him out of his cell and they place him before the crowd as Pilate makes one last ditch effort to get them to understand this is no comparison folks and the crowd continues to cry out for Barabbas to be released and now suddenly he's the hero of the moment suddenly the soldiers are pulling him close and they're releasing his chains and they're sending him on his way in just a matter of a few minutes, Barabbas went from a dead man walking to a man walking into his home as a freed man. And this week, as I wrestled with that, I started to see something very familiar about Barabbas. It's Barabbas is me, Barabbas is you. The story of Barabbas is one of the greatest pictures of the gospel. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21 being fleshed out for us. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is is Jesus, the one who, who knew no sin, who is innocent in everyone's eyes. This is Barabbas, the most guilty, hideous thug that there is. And here's Jesus taking his place, the the innocent one, dying for the one who is obviously and unapologetically guilty. That is me. That is you. Okay, I didn't get dressed up to come to church with my mom so you could call me a sinner, Frank. I get it, but I'm not the one calling you that. In the eyes of a holy, just God, he is being incredibly gracious to us by pointing out in us the greatest problem that we have, and that greatest problem is our sin. He tells us about it in Isaiah chapter 53. He says, we all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. There is nobody among us that is righteous, not even one. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is offering to you the gift of an unbelievable exchange. His life for yours. He gets the full wrath of God. You get God's pleasure. Your story, his story, his story becomes yours. When God looks at you, He sees his innocence, his righteousness. That's freedom. As Barabbas walked away, Christ took his place. This morning, that can be you. Jesus has walked into the reality of your failure, of your shame, of your guilt, of your your sin, and he has taken the blame on himself. He Paid the price, he endured the wrath of God so that you don't have to. He got what you deserve so you can get what he deserves. It's the greatest exchange in all of history. Jesus gave up his life so you can have his life. Do you have it? Do you? Yeah, I I haven't quite figured out that spiritual process yet. It's not a process. It's saying yes. That's all it is. Yes, I am the sinner you said I am. Yes, I deserve hell. Yes, I can't do anything about it myself. Yes, you are the Son of God who came to save me from my sins. Yes, you rose again from the dead, proving that your payment was enough. Yes, I will see you again one day. Yes, you're mine. God's pursuing you. Do you hear Him? Do you hear Him calling your name? God's not pursuing me. Are you sitting here this morning? Joke's on you. He'll come into each and every life that invites him in. Would you? Do you have that life? Now, those of you who are here who have that life, and many of you do, and I'm thankful for you. You've experienced the freedom You've experienced that glorious exchange. Um, I have good news for you. Your name is Barabbas. I know, I know. It's very preachy of me to come back to that, right? But let me explain it to you just a bit. I'm going to attempt to do this, which means I'm going to mess it up. But each and every one of you Who've accepted him? Your name's Barabbas. I can prove it to you. Let me show you. Here's the verse that proves it. Galatians 4, 6. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. What a great verse, isn't it? Can I show you something? See this right here? This name has two parts. You know what Barabbas means? Son. You. Are Barabbas. Ladies are like, well, nope, I'm a daughter. I know, I know, I know. Hold on. It's better than that, though. Because in this time period, daughters didn't receive anything of the inheritance. And so Paul made it very clear, in Jesus Christ, in God's eyes, you're all sons. Because you all get it. So now you know how to greet each other every morning. I don't need to remember your name. I just call you Barabbas. (laughs) You know what Easter is about? Freedom. Freedom from the sin that has entangled us for so very long. Freedom from shame. Freedom from guilt. Freedom to worship him with everything we have. We don't know what happened to Barabbas when he walked away. No historical records, nothing. Just walked away. What are you doing, Barabbas? How are you responding to that grace that has been poured out in your life? Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you have redeemed us, that you have bought us. Thank you, Father, that we can have that freedom that freedom that we don't deserve, that freedom that we didn't earn, that freedom that, that will never, ever be taken from us. God, we owe you more than we could ever possibly pay you. <laughs> but you don't ask us for payment. You don't want our sheep, you want our hearts. So, Lord, I pray that we would return to you a gift of worship and adoration that is fit for our daddy. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen.